Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, beginning at verse 14. When the hour had come, Jesus reclined at the table with the twelve apostles. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took a cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood which is being poured out for you. But look, the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man is going to go as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. This is the gospel of our Lord. We pray. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Amen. Please be seated. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The major events of Jesus' life are kind of like diamonds. Precious, yes, but also the more you hold them up and examine them, the, the deeper understanding you have. You see the, the, the multiple variations, the, the many facets of each of the, the great events of Jesus' life. And, and Monday, Thursday is no exception. Monday, Thursday, the, the last Passover, meant many things to many different people. For your average Jew, it was an opportunity to come to Jerusalem and, and celebrate the Passover festival, which kicked off the seven-day party known as the Festival of Unleavened Bread. For Judas and the Jewish leaders, it marked the time that their wicked plans to get rid of Jesus once and for all would come to fruition. For the other apostles, it seemed to mark the time for them to do what they seemed best at, arguing over which of them was the greatest. For the Apostle Peter in particular, it seemed to be the opportune time for him to crow once again about his unwavering dedication to Jesus, to go with him even to death if necessary. This night meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but tonight we're going to focus on, on one facet, the most important facet, on what this night means for Jesus and for us. While much of what we see on Monday, Thursday consists of little more than thoughtless outbursts like Peter's and the other apostles, or uncertain but hopeful plans to carry out an evil deed like Judas and the Jewish leaders, there was nothing thoughtless or uncertain about this night when it came to Jesus. He knew exactly what this night held for him, and he told his disciples so. He said, this is the last Passover I'm going to celebrate with you before my suffering and the last one that I will eat this side of heaven. He told them bluntly, the, my betrayer is in this room. He is eating this meal with us. And he also said that all of this had been determined beforehand. This was the way it had to be. Now setting Jesus' omniscience aside for a second, 
He could have known it that way, and he, he surely did. But he also could have known it because he knew his Old Testament prophecies. Prophecies like David's prophecy in Psalm 41 where David writes, Even a man who was at peace with me, a man whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has raised up his heel to step on me. Or Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 53 where he says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man who knew grief, who was well acquainted with suffering, like someone whom people cannot bear to look at, he was despised, and we thought nothing of him. Surely he was taking up our weaknesses, and he was carrying our sufferings. This had all been predetermined. Nothing uncertain or thoughtless was going to happen this night from Jesus' perspective. But it's tragic, isn't it? It's tragic to consider that, and ironic too, that the whole reason the Jewish leaders wanted to get rid of Jesus was because he told them, I am the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. I am the one who has come to suffer and die for you, for your sins. And so they decided to kill him. It's tragic. It's also tragic that so many people continue to reject Jesus as the Son of God and Savior today. And, and for many of the same reasons, right? I really think that the Jewish leaders would have tolerated and even embraced Jesus if he had just come as a, a wise rabbi, an enlightened teacher, um, a miracle worker, a healer of sorts, a uh, uh, political revolutionary, a social liberator. If Jesus had come in those forms, I, I fully expect that the Jewish leaders would have embraced him. They would have loved him. But the moment he claimed to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world, they threw him out. They rejected him. And so many people still do the same today. There are many people in our world who are more than happy to embrace and accept Jesus who, who will come to heal all of the ills in their life who will come to bring social justice and social revolution, who will come to, to heal their sicknesses and their diseases. But the moment Jesus dares to say, I didn't really come for those reasons, but to save you from your sins, they want nothing to do with him anymore. What's even more tragic, though, is that those who do confess Jesus as the Son of God often reject him too, including you and I. How do we do that, you may ask? Well, if Jesus is the Son of God, if we believe He is the Son of God, then He is also the Lord of our lives. And whenever we reject, we, we reject His will for our lives, His Word, His guidance, we are rejecting Him as the Son of God and Lord of Lords. When we fear disease or death more than Him, we're rejecting Him. When we spend more time talking on social media than talking to Him in prayer, we are rejecting Him. When we despise the means of grace, we are rejecting Him. When we disrespect and dishonor those He has placed in authority over us, we are rejecting Him. We fail to help our neighbor in need. We're rejecting Him. When we let lustful thoughts linger in our hearts and our minds, we are rejecting Him. When we steal, however that may be, if we're stealing time from our employer or we're filing shady tax returns, or stealing from God the offerings that rightfully belong to Him, we are rejecting Jesus. When we listen to or speak gossip, when we, when we covet things that God has not given to us, we are rejecting 
Jesus as the Son of God. And here's the real tragedy. If Jesus is not the Son of God, if we do not accept him as he claimed to be the Son of God, then we're out of luck. Then there's no Savior. There's no forgiveness of sins. There is no eternal life. There is no hope. Because God, the Bible is very clear. God says, whoever rejects Jesus on the last day will be rejected by him forever. But there is hope for us. Even for us who have so often rejected Jesus as the Lord of our lives and thus as the Son of God. The hope is this. That even though people reject Him, doesn't change who Jesus is. He remains the Son of God. He remains the Savior of sinners no matter how many people reject Him. No matter how many people cast Him out of their lives. No matter how often we sin against Him and reject Him. And when the Lord brings us to that realization to confess our sins, to, to admit, Lord, I have rejected you more times in my life than I care to think about, then we can always come back and the same Jesus will be there offering himself to us tonight especially through his own body and blood which assures us that our sins, even our sins of rejecting him, are forgiven. This sacrament that we will celebrate tonight, which was first celebrated at the last Passover, validates Jesus' claim. His claim to be the Son of God, it validates his identity. And you might think, how is that possible? Let's just do a, be- a brief review of what the Passover festival was all about. It's really amazing, really. While the Israelites were still in bondage in Egypt, the Lord came to them and said, This is a festival that I want you to celebrate for generations. For generations and generations. You are to come together and you are to remember that the the angel of death passed over the homes of every Israelite who believed the word of God and slaughtered a lamb and painted its blood on your doorposts. You are to come together to remember that. To remember that the Lord is the one who brought you out of your slavery in Egypt. Over the course of the centuries, it became traditional to celebrate this meal with four cups of wine. And these were to recall the four promises that God had made in Exodus chapter 6. These are the promises. Tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from being their slaves. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God, the one who brought you out from under the forced labor of the Egyptians. Now I spent more time than I cared to admit this week researching what a traditional Passover feast would have looked like. And It's crazy how many different variations and different traditions there are. In many traditions, there are 15 different steps to celebrating the Passover meal. But as far as I can tell, there's a a fairly simple outline, and I'll try to give that to you tonight. So when the meal was about to start, the youngest child would be sent outside to look for the Messiah. Tradition had it that the Messiah would appear on the evening before the Passover, which would be tonight, Holy Thursday. The child would then return, and he would ask a a very important formulaic question. 
he would ask the question, what makes this night so different than every other night of the year? And he would ask that because so many things were different for them. Uh, there was different food. Uh, the way they even organized themselves around the table would have been different. Normally they would have eaten just like we do, sitting upright. But it was tradition at the Passover meal to eat it leaning over. If you see pictures of the, of the last Passover meal that Jesus celebrated, they are reclining on cushions. And what that's supposed to represent is that's how a, a free and a prosperous people can eat. They can afford to recline because they are in no danger. They would start the meal with the first cup of wine by passing it around. Then they would eat bitter herbs, which was to remind them of the bitter slavery that their ancestors went through in Egypt. They would pass the, the second cup of wine, and then they would eat unleavened bread. Unleavened because on the night of the first Passover, there wasn't time for the yeast to rise, so it was unleavened on the day that they were rescued from Egypt. The third cup of wine that was passed was known as the cup of redemption. And then the roasted lamb would be eaten, the lamb that, to remind them of the lambs that gave up their lives to spare them from certain death. And then the fourth cup would be passed and they would sing some hymns and some psalms. And you might ask, what does, what does a traditional Passover meal have to do with, with our account, with the Last Supper here? And there, there are a few interesting connections. Some of it is speculation. I'll tell you what, what my speculation is. But, but some of it has a very clear connection to this meal that we will eat once again here tonight. So Luke records. He seems to uh, attest to the fact that these, the disciples and Jesus were celebrating under that framework of having four cups of wine, four shared cups of wine. But he only records two of them. The first one and the third one, but before we get to the wine, uh, the bread, the unleavened bread in Hebrew is called matzah. And that matzah, or matzot, the plural form, was kept in a special white silk bag. I have a picture of it on the PowerPoint, if, if we could flash that up. And if you notice something about that bag, it has three different pockets in it. Now, I, I couldn't figure out what the the Jewish, the Orthodox Jewish understanding of that, that three-pocketed bag would be. But Jewish Christians have come to understand it as representing the Trinity. The Father, the Son in the middle, and the Holy Spirit. And so, it's interesting. If this was how the disciples celebrated the, the last Passover meal, what they would have understood of the symbolism of Jesus breaking the bread and giving it to them and saying, take and eat, this is my body. Now obviously, you can go to the next slide. Theologically and grammatically, it, it meant exactly what he said. Jesus said, this bread is my body. There is no denying what he said either in the English or in the original language. But symbolically, would they have understood that what Jesus was saying was, this is my body and I am the Son of God and your Savior? I wonder if they would have understood that. I mean, it's debatable whether they would have understood it. It seemed like they didn't understand many things that night. 
and it, you can debate whether they even celebrated using the matzah tash, as that sack was called. But what isn't debatable is that very quickly, Christians did grow to understand that when we receive the, the unleavened bread here, we are receiving nothing less than the, the physical body of the Son of God. Paul makes that very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, the bread that we break, is it not a communion of the body of Christ? In the Lord's Supper, we are receiving nothing less than the body of the Son of God. The body that was broken on that cross to redeem us from our sins. Like I said before, Luke records only two cups, the, the sharing of two cups, the first and the third. And as he says, after the supper, Jesus took the cup. That would be the third cup, the, the cup that links back to that promise in Exodus chapter 6 of redemption, the promise that went like this. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And can you kind of hear echoes of that promise of redemption when Jesus continues? This cup is a new testament in my blood, which is being poured out for you. So when you put the pieces together like this, God promised to save them with an outstretched arm. Well, on that cross, the arms of Jesus were stretched out and God indeed performed a great act of judgment. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, God judged him in our place. He judged Jesus as being guilty of every last one of our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. In fact, that really was judgment day when God judged Jesus on the cross. For us who, who receive and believe Jesus as the Son of God and our Savior, there's nothing to fear when the end comes. We've already been judged. And the declaration has already been announced. We are not guilty. There's nothing for us to fear. According to Matthew's account, they didn't finish the meal. They didn't actually have that fourth cup of wine that they traditionally would have had. They sang some hymns and then they went out to the Mount of Olives and to the Garden of Gethsemane. Why do you think they didn't finish the meal? Well, because in just a few hours on the cross, the last Passover, that, that ultimate sacrifice that the last Passover looked forward to, would be completed. Redemption would be completed when Jesus said, it is finished. There was no need for any more Passovers, why we call tonight the last Passover. Instead, it would be replaced by the meal that Christians have celebrated ever since, the meal that Jesus instituted on this night, the meal that delivers to us not anticipated redemption, not something in the future that is to come, but full and complete redemption so that you can walk out those doors tonight knowing that there is nothing left to be done. So what does all this have to do with us thousands of years and thousands of miles away from that last Passover? Well, Jesus tells us, do this in remembrance of me. And in English, when we think about the word remember, we, we typically think of it in the, in the sense of like looking at a photo album. And you remember, oh yeah, I remember when that happened. But the, the Greek word that Jesus uses here, as well as the Hebrew word for remember, Zakar in the Hebrew and amnesis in the Greek are much more vivid than that. 
When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not saying just remember what happened a long time ago. That's what Reformed Christians would say, that this is just a, a show, an act, a play to, to remind us of what Jesus went through a long time ago. Now, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying, remember my act on the cross 2,000 years ago, but also know that that has an impact on you right here and right now. For example, when God told the Israelites to remember the Exodus, remember the Passover, he was telling them, remember how my outstretched arm brought you to where you are today as a free people. Or maybe we would think of remembering Independence Day, the 4th of July, how that event that happened so long ago still has an impact on our lives. The fact that we can worship in freedom is a result of that day. What that means for us, to gather here tonight on the night of the Last Supper, Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday or the Last Supper, whatever you wish to call it, means that everything that Jesus did on that night and the following day, Good Friday, is delivered to us through this bread and wine. Through this bread and wine, we are receiving the body and blood of no less than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Through this meal, we, who know very well what it means to be slaved, enslaved to sin, death, and the devil, we are liberated. Through this meal, Jesus is hand-delivering to us the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. I kind of like that Jewish question that the, the child asked, right? What makes this night different than every other night? Well, this night indicates to us that Jesus will suffer. He will be rejected, but it's, it's all according to plan. It's all been determined by God beforehand. It implicates us. Our sins are just as responsible for Jesus' suffering as, as anything else that happened that night. It identifies Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. And this night of the Last Supper, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper through which he gives us the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation, truly liberating us from sin, death, and the devil. Yes, Monday, Thursday, Holy Thursday, the last Passover, the last supper, it is a gem to be held up and treasured and closely examined. It is truly a night to remember. Amen.